Good evening. It's good to see everyone back this evening. I hope you've had a good Lord's Day as I have and a good holiday as I have. I've enjoyed very much having our family around. And it's good to be at the house of the Lord this evening. Take another drink of that water. I got lost once in my notes this morning. I wanted to finish up a point that I started because I think it's really important. It's one I've overlooked for many, many years. And that is that the law could only be kept in the land of Canaan. And what got me to thinking about that was the proselytes. You know, Jesus said in in Matthew 23... You compass land and sea to make one proselyte. That means they went out of the country. And when you do, you make him twofold more the child of hell than ye yourselves. He never gave them a command to go into all the nations. He never gave them the the command to teach this law to every creature. That was not his plan. It was his plan to bring the Gentiles in when Jesus came. That was according to his preordained plan. We read that way back in the book of Genesis. And so when we look in uh, Exodus 12 and verse 49, he talks about those that sojourn among you. And right before that, he mentions that these were slaves and servants that lived in their communities constantly with them. They could be proselyted, but they didn't have all the rights that the Jews had. But they could not go outside the land to proselyte people to the Jewish religion. They couldn't take the Passover out of the land. That's stated in that context. Their inheritance was in the land. That's what God promised to Abraham was the nation of Israel. But if they went out of the land, they had no inheritance. Their tribe was very important. Paul mentioned in his writings that he was a a Jew. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he knew what tribe he was a member of. And he knew that his inheritance in that land depended on what tribe he was from. There was no temple to worship God in other nations. There was no forgiveness and there was no cleansing in other nations. The priests were dependent upon getting their support from the tithes that came in. There was no ties for political priests in other countries. So how could people practice that off over in Germany or Spain or Sweden or somewhere way off over there? Not only that, the law said they had to go to Jerusalem three times a year to worship on the feast days. That wasn't feasible from sections that were uh, from countries that were way off from there. Capital punishment based on religious law could not be carried out in other countries. So the congregation could not stone someone for adultery or homosexuality or being a wizard. This law was made with Israel only and only for that nation. When God threatened the country of Israel... It was always the people that were in the land, and the threat was, if you don't keep my law, I'm going to drive you out just like I drove your enemies out. 
Well, he didn't threaten to drive them out of all the countries where they'd went. He was talking about the nation of Israel. And that's just some of the points that I've come up with in the last few weeks on that. that and you can study that and for yourself. But I really believe that the law could not be uh, practiced outside the land of Israel. Incidentally, I did a little bit of reading on the internet this last week. <clears throat> There's so much in our country today that I think is misled. And that has to do with the nation of, Liz of Israel. And I just want to throw in right here, it's a little off subject. I looked on the internet did you know there's more Jews in America than there is in Israel? I'm talking about people that claim to be Jews. None of them know what tribe they're from today. They have no proof that they're a Jew. They have no pedigree. But there's more Jews in America than there is in Israel. There is a group of people that claim to be Jews. And I'm sorry I didn't write that word down. It's something like Ananazi. If you ask a Jew that word, he'll know it. Because this was a group of people back about the year 1000 that lived in one of the countries over there by Turkey. They were Gentiles. And they were having problems between the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians. And the king said, I'm not going to have that in my kingdom. We're going to be one religion in this country. And so they got representatives from the Muslim religion, for the Christian religion, and from the Jewish religion. And when it was all said and done, they decided they were going to be Jews. So they just declared themselves to be Jews, even though they were Gentiles. Well, half of the people in Israel today that claim to be Jews are that kind of Jews. They have no bloodline. Never did have a bloodline. They were Gentiles. And so all this being enamored with what's going on over there in the country they call Israel today has nothing to do with what the Bible's talking about here. And we don't want to get carried away with all of that. That's shaping our foreign policy in a way that, to me, is not always good. And it's a misunderstanding of a lot of our people here in this country. They're, they're plagued by this doctrine called premillennialism, and it's built upon a false premise. The premise of premillennialism that God has never fulfilled His promise to the Jews. If you go back and look at the book of Joshua three times, it says that he did when they came into the land. So that whole opinion is based upon a false premise. All right, let me get back to my sermon. We said this morning this was for a particular people, the Jews in a particular place, Canaan in a particular time. And that time, as we had on the board this morning, was between Sinai and Calvary. That's the time frame that this law was in effect. For 1,500 years, this was God's law for the Jews. It was a theocracy. Their national law and their religious law was one and the same law. In Galatians 3 and verse number 19... Paul said it was going to last till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Verse number 16 of that chapter says that seed was Christ. So it was God's plan that that law last till Jesus came. If I say I'm going to be here till 7 o'clock, that means after 7 o'clock I'm not going to be here anymore. And that law was going to last till Jesus came and, and then it was going to be nullified. 
In Jeremiah 31, 31, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. God had already determined that there would be a new covenant when Jesus came. And he said, it's not going to be like the old covenant. It's going to be different. One difference is it doesn't have infant membership. And there's a lot of other differences besides that. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, before God ever gave one commandment of the law, the people said, we want you to be our God, and we're going to do whatever you say. You can check that out in Exodus 19. Then in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And so, hear, O Israel, the word of the Lord our God. And so God begins to deliver His will unto them. And they stayed there at Mount Sinai until we get down to Deuteronomy 31. Moses wrote into the book until it was finished. And so that's why they stayed there. And then they left. And they started toward the promised land. When God gave them that book in Deuteronomy 4.2, He said, Don't add to or take from my word. In Deuteronomy 27 and 26, He said, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the words of this law. All the words that are written in the book of this law. There was a curse. If they didn't follow all of them, they didn't get to pick and choose. It's never been pleasing to God if we try to pick and choose His commandments. In whatever time frame we live in, we're obligated to keep the commandments that He gave to us. And they were in the Jewish age. In Galatians 4 and 4, the Bible says Christ was made under the law. What does that mean? That means we're under U.S. law. People that live south of our southern border are under Mexican law. People that live on the other side of our northern border are under Canadian law. Under means under its jurisdiction, under the authority of that law. And from Sinai to the cross, the Jews were under the law of Moses. And Jesus was a Jew. And that law was in effect till Jesus died upon the cross. So his whole life, he was under the jurisdiction of the law of Moses. And a lot of times people say, well, we need to keep the Sabbath because Jesus kept the Sabbath. That was the law he was under. People need to say we need to be circumcised because Jesus was circumcised according to the law. That's because that's the law that he lived under. That doesn't mean we're supposed to do that today. We're not under that law. But Christ was made under the law. Then let's notice these other statements. Galatians 4 and verse 5, He said, you were, that's past tense, not anymore, you were under the law. But He said, Christ came and redeemed us from the curse of the law. What was the curse of the law? I quoted it a while ago, Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Folks, that's a pretty big curse. That covers a lot of territory. That covers all 613 commandments in the law. Did you realize there were that many? 613 commandments in the law. And I'm going to repeat the statement that I made this morning. There's not a single religion on the face of the earth today that follows all of those laws. Not one. 
When you get outside of the church of Christ, I don't know hardly anybody that doesn't try to follow some of those commandments. But they pick and choose the ones they want. Our position is when the law was done away, every jot, every tittle, every command of the law was done away. That's the only consistent position that you can take on the law. Because anything else is going to create contradictions, it's going to create division, it's going to create confusion, and if you look at our religious world, that's why it's in the shape it's in. Everybody wants to make a list of those things out of the law that they want their church to follow. But the rest of it, they don't pay any attention to it. That's not a consistent position. In Galatians 3 and verse 13, we read that one. Galatians 5 and verse 18, he says, Ye, speaking to the Galatians, the Christians in the church at Galatia, ye are not under the law. Well, Jesus was under the law. But he says, ye are not under the law. Why? Because that law was nailed to the cross, just as we'll look at here in just a minute. In Romans 6 and verse 14, he says to the Romans, ye are not under the law. He says to the Romans in chapter 7 and verse 4, ye are become dead to the law. And he also says, now we are delivered from the law. Does that sound like it's still in effect to you and a law that we're supposed to be following today? Statement after statement after statement by inspired writers. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. Listen to all them that believe. If you say, well, I just don't believe that. That just means you're an unbeliever. Because that's the truth. Christ is the end of the law, if you'll believe it. And so all of that tithing, all that infant membership in the covenant, all of those feast days, going to Jerusalem, trying to keep the Sabbath, those things have no meaning to us today because they've been done away. The Bible says the law ended, it was done away, it was changed, it was abolished, it was nailed to the cross, and it vanished away. How many times does the Bible have to say something for it to be true? How many times does the Bible have to say something before we're willing to believe it? You know, if it just said it one time, it would be true. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. But it says it over and over and over, it uses different phraseology. But the language says, it's gone. It's finished. It's done. It served its purpose to bring the Messiah into the world. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 24, and verse number 44, Jesus said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. All of those 300 prophecies in the Old Testament had to be fulfilled. That's what he said. You know, Jesus was the type of every one of those sacrifices. 
All of those prophecies about His birth, about His death, and all about His life, they had to be fulfilled. Peter said Jesus did no sin. What sin? The transgression of the law. He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Jesus did what no other Jew ever did or ever will do. He lived the law perfectly. He never sinned one time. He fulfilled the law. He filled it to the full. He obeyed every jot and every tittle. And when He fulfilled that last prophecy as He hung there upon the cross, He said, It is finished. What was finished? It is finished. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning in verse 6. But burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said he, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. I've come to do what you wanted me to do. And a part of what God wanted him to do was to take away the, the first law. Verse 9 says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Did you know that's part of the will of God? Is that Jesus fulfilled the law and take it out of the way so that he could graft in the Gentiles and make us all one in one body by the cross? And when he hung there upon the cross, he said, It's finished. I've done everything that you've asked me to do, Father. There's nothing else left to be done. We can't have two laws in effect at the same time. In order for one law to be passed, another one has to be repealed. Can you imagine trying to live under British law and U.S. law at the same time? Can you imagine the confusion? Can you imagine the confusion by trying to live under Mexican law and U.S. law all at the same time? That'll never work. And so Jesus came to take away the first so that he could establish the second. Jesus took them all away. It was all fulfilled, every jot and every tittle. I want you to look at Matthew 5, 17, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. There's probably been more people deceived about the law by this verse than any other verse in the Bible. I'll get there in a minute. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Think not, I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. And these guys will get a little gleam in their eye and a little smirk on their face, and they say, is heaven and earth passed? What was Jesus saying here?
I didn't come just to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And when he fulfilled it, we're going to look at a number of other scriptures here in a minute. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And I'm telling you, folks, when he fulfilled the law, he fulfilled every jot and every tittle. And they all passed. Every one of them. There's nothing left in the Old Testament that is a commandment to Christians today. All the jots, all the tittles, that means the smallest little mark in Hebrew. Every one of those passed away with the death of Jesus. Because they were all fulfilled. And that's why I said it's all or none. James talked about the whole law. Paul talked about in Galatians 5 that we've got to follow it all if we're going to follow it. If you're going to preach circumcision, he said to those people, then you've got to preach the whole law. Well, Jesus fulfilled the whole law and he took it out of the way. So what does this part till heaven and earth pass means? I'm telling you, the Jewish nation came to an end the day Jesus died on the cross. When they crucified God's Son... God no longer recognized them as a special nation. And if you look at all of those parables there in the last part of the Gospels, He's telling them what's fixing to happen to them. And in Matthew 24, as He's speaking about that great destruction that was fixing to come upon Jerusalem, there's a phrase I want to get out of there. Let me turn over there real quick. Matthew 24. In verse number 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And I'm going to tell you when it says the end of the world there, I think a better translation would have been the end of the age. And a lot of the newer translations say that. I've checked that word out in the lexicons and that's basically the meaning of that word. But what happened was the Jewish world ended in the destruction of Jerusalem. They no longer have an identity. They no longer have a way to identify themselves. And so their heaven and earth passed away. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to them. Your world's fixing to come to a screeching halt. And it did. The Roman army came in there and for three and a half years they surrounded Jerusalem. They starved them out till they become cannibals and finally it got so bad they had to surrender. There was a million Jews died in Jerusalem. 900,000 were carried to Rome and auctioned at the slave block. And there were so many of them that the Bible says, and Josephus the Jewish historian says, no man would even bid on them. There were so many. Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen there in the last chapters of the gospel. They rejected God's Son, and He said, I reject you. Now, I don't think that that means that they have no chance of salvation. But they no longer have favorite nation status that they had for 1,500 years. 
Paul said to the Jew first and also to the Greek he preached the gospel. He still loved his people. God still had the door of salvation open to them just like he does to the Gentiles. And we're warned by Paul several times in the New Testament, don't you get puffed up because God's punished the Jews because he said you might be next. See, this is not about putting down another race. This is about learning something about God. God means business. And when God says, I'm going to do something, He's going to do it. Along with these other passages that we have over here, we're not under the law. I want to mention some others that uh, talk about the law. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law. So there was 1,500 years where there was a lot of people under the law. And that law was to them, and those teachings were to them. The law is to whoever is under its jurisdiction. Paul said in Galatians 23, Before faith or the gospel in Jesus came, we were kept under the law. He's speaking about the Jews now. Before the gospel came, we were kept under the law. We were shut up to those good things that hadn't, God hadn't given knowledge of yet. We were shut out. But we would gain access when Jesus comes. Galatians 3.24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. He was our te- the law was our teacher. It, the law was our tutor to bring us unto Jesus. That was the purpose of the old law, is to get a people ready, a nation of people ready to receive the Messiah so they could reveal Him to the whole world. And they fell miserably. They were not ready when He came and they rejected Him. The law was our schoolmaster. Was is past tense, isn't it? When Paul was writing, the law wasn't in effect anymore. It was for a while, but not anymore. Galatians 3.25 says that after faith, or the gospel in Jesus came, we're no longer under the law. And in Galatians 4 and verse 5, he says, you were, isn't that past tense? Under the law. So as we think about being under the law and being under the jurisdiction of the law, there was a time that people were. There's a time that they was. But now, it's not that way. Because there was a great change at the cross. This idea that the law or parts of the law are still in effect, which is very popular, by the way, is contrary to what Jesus himself taught. Jesus said in Luke 5 and verse 36, 
No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old garment. What's he talking about? He's talking about something old. He's talking about something new. And he said, you got an old garment, you don't come along and, you know, like if I had a rip in this coat and I just had my wife put a big patch right there. How many of you think that's cool? You wouldn't be caught dead in this, would you? He said, it makes the whole garment look worse. And Jesus did, said, I didn't come along here just to patch up a law that's going to be done away. He said, I'm not in the patchwork business. I've come to give you new clothes, not old rags. A lot of people think Jesus just added His commandments to those of Moses. That's not what happened. So, then the question comes, when did the law end? Well, I want to look at some scriptures quickly, if you can keep up with me, follow along. The first one I want to look at is in Colossians, the second chapter. In Colossians 2, and verse number 14, Paul said, "...blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross." So he talks about handwritten ordinances that were against us. Keep your finger right there in Colossians 2 and go with me to Deuteronomy 31 and we're going to see what it says when Moses finished writing the law. Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse number 24. And it came to pass when Moses made an end of writing the words of this law in a book until they were finished that Moses commanded the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the Lord your God, and it may be there for a witness against you. And he goes on and he says, I know how much you've rebelled in my lifetime, and I know when I'm dead and gone, it's going to get worse. And that's why God gave the law, to point out your transgressions and your sins. And your behaviors. And he said, you put this book in the side of the Ark of a Covenant, and it's going to be a witness there. It's going to point the finger at you every time you do the wrong thing. Reckon that might be the curse of the law? Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes about some handwritten ordinances that were against us. I've had people tell me on that passage, oh, that couldn't possibly be the law because he said it was against us. That's exactly what Moses said when he finished writing it. That has to be an allusion back to, to uh, Deuteronomy 31. Now, Paul tells us what happened here. Blotting out, erasing, repealing the handwritten ordinances that was against us, handwritten by Moses, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Folks, that's when the law of Moses came to an end, right there. That day, that hour. When Jesus said it is finished, 
He said, I've finished your will for me. And a part of it was to take away the first so I can give you a second. So if we want an exact time when the law ended, that's it. When Jesus died on the cross, He became the end of the law to those who will believe it. It ended right there. Came to a screeching halt. He goes on down just a little bit further here to verse number 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. The meat and drink offering was the daily offering. The holy days were the feast days that come once a year. The new moon were the monthly offerings that came once a month. And the Sabbath was the weekly offerings. What does that mean, don't let any man judge you? Don't let these people that's trying to hang on to the law of Moses judge you and tell you what you're supposed to be doing and keeping out of that law. Why? Jesus took it out of the way. He removed it. And it's not a law anymore. Was for 1,500 years, but not anymore. So when people come around and tell you, you need to keep this law and you need to keep that law and you need to keep another law out of the Old Testament, don't listen to that. Because that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. All right, let's look at another place. Ephesians, back to the left, just a couple of books. Ephesians 2 and verse number 14. Speaking about Christ, it says, He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He's talking about the Jew and the Gentiles. And there was a law, a dividing wall, between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews couldn't go into the temple court to worship like uh, the Gentiles couldn't go there like the Jews did. They weren't even supposed to have social interactions with one another. And it says, Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Isn't that exactly what the law is? It's a book of commandments contained in ordinances. We have city commandments. Pardon me, we have city ordinances. We have city laws. It means the same thing. And that book was made up of 613 of those ordinances or commandments. To make of himself, of twain, one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God by one, in one body by the cross. What broke down that middle wall? The cross. It took what was standing between us and the Jews away. That was the law. And now we all come before God in the church. And God is no respecter of person. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And so we read this morning in Hebrews 7, 12, By necessity there's been a change in the law. We've changed from one to another. You know, when the United States won their independence, they changed laws. They changed from British law to U.S. law. They weren't under Britain's dominion anymore. They weren't under the rule of that law any longer. 
In Jeremiah 31, 31, he said this is a prophecy of Jeremiah about what was going to happen when Jesus came. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. But I'm going to give them a new covenant. And it's going to be established upon better promises. And it's going to be different. That was prophesied way back in Jeremiah. In Hebrews 8, the writer quotes that from about verse 6 to the end of the chapter. I believe that's about verse 13. He quotes Jeremiah 31. And he says, that's now being fulfilled. And that's vanishing. That law is vanishing away. How many times does God have to tell us before we get it? In Hebrews 10 and verse 9, two chapters later, he says, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And when he did that, he was doing God's will. Let's go back another book, Galatians. Pardon me, forward another book. No, backwards. Galatians 3. Verse number 24. Wherefore the law was, not is, but was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. We're not under the law of Moses. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Is that different to the old covenant? Were they commanded to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Were they commanded to be baptized to become children of God? No. But under the new covenant we are. So we see that it is a different covenant. Bear with me. In Exodus 34 is where Moses comes down uh, off of the mountain and he's got the two tables of stone where the Ten Commandments are written on both sides. And starting in verse number 29 of Exodus 34, now the reason I want to cover this real quickly is because this passage in Corinthians confused me for many years. And I read in a book one time, if you'll read Exodus 34, before you read 2 Corinthians 3, it'll be plain. So I thought, I'm going to try that. It'll make all the difference in the world. Exodus 34 is when Moses is coming down off of the mountain with the two tables of stone. While, they, while he's been up on the mountain, they've created an idol. And they've begun to worship it. And he was so upset, he threw down the stones and broke them. And people will argue, oh, if it's written on the stone, that means it's going to last forever. It's not like the book. It's the stone, and it'll endure forever. It didn't even last one day when Moses came back. Well, as you go on and you read here, 
Till Moses, verse 33, had done speaking with him, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off till he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses as the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again. It was so bright he couldn't, that they couldn't stand it. And so Moses put a veil over his face while he talked to them. That's the only place in the Old Testament that incident is mentioned, is Exodus 34. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I want you to notice some things here as he begins. We begin again to commend, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. We came and we brought you the gospel. Everything that you believe and everything that you teach, we brought it to you. Do we need more authority than that? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. Now notice verse 6. Paul said to the Corinthian brethren, who also hath made us able ministers of the what? Law of Moses? It's not what it says. He said, the Holy Spirit has made us ministers of the New Testament. The New Testament. We're preachers of the New Testament. We don't go around preaching the Old Testament. Then he says, but the ministration of death written and engraven in stones. What's he talking about here? He's talking about those Ten Commandments that were written in stone. And he called it the ministration of death. You know why he called it the ministration of death? Because when Moses came down off of the mountain with those two tables, 3,000 people died for worshiping idols. Was the law a witness against them? 3,000 people died. But in verse 6, he said, We're able ministers of the New Testament. Why the New Testament? Because when Peter preached the New Testament for the first time, 3,000 people were made alive spiritually, they were born again. Their sins were washed away. They were no longer under condemnation from God as the murderers of His Son. Can you not see a great contrast between the two? Which one do you think is better? Let's get back over here real quickly. I'm going to run through this and close. So he talks about the New Testament that's written in the heart. 
He talks about the Old Testament. And in verses 14, he says, But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the... What? The Old Testament. He said, they're just like Moses. He goes on and he says, Unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. And he says, And not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. You know when Moses gave that law, they didn't think it would ever end. They thought that would be a lair as long as there was people on the earth. They couldn't see that far into the future, could they? But God never intended that to be a permanent law. That's why he prophesied it was going to be done away. He says, that which was done away was glorious, verse 11. Much more that which remaineth is glorious. So this one over here that Moses gave was glorious. It, it, it was very beneficial to them for 1,500 years. But this one is glorious. Was, is. Can you see the difference? This one over here, written in stone, is done away. It's gone. Verse 7 said it was to be done away. Verse 13 says it is abolished. Verse 14 says it is done away. And verse 13 says that it ended. But what about the New Testament? It's written in the heart. It's rather glorious. It exceeds in glory. It excels in glory. It is glorious. And verse 11, it remaineth. Now those who live before the cross are going to be judged by the Old Testament. You know what you and I are going to be judged by? The New Testament. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged uh, according to their works, out of the book, according to their works. We didn't live before the cross. That law was never given to the Gentiles. But Christ came and brought His teachings. And then the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles and others to write down the New Testament. And that's what we're going to be judged by. So don't get excited about people trying to tell you that you're not doing God's will because you don't go back and follow those laws of the Old Testament because they're just as mistaken as they can be. You know, when I get to the judgment day, I sure hate to depend on Moses to get me in the gate. But I think we can depend on Christ to get us there. And that's going to be the difference. The lessons are yours. I hope you've been benefited. I hope you've learned some things today. I hope you won't forget them because they're so, so important. And if everybody had a knowledge of what we've taught today, you'd see half of the division in the rigid world go away just like that. Just that quickly. It'd clear up the confusion. But people don't want to hear that. We had a visitor this morning.
he came up to me after church and he said, you know that part about following Christ? I'm with you all the way. But now the rest of that stuff. <laughs> Folks, I believe we've read it. I didn't make all this up. It's God's will. If you're here tonight and have a need in your life, Christ wants to fulfill it. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you peace. He wants to make your life great. If you're here and you're troubled, would you come as we stand and sing?